We must treat each individual bleeding disorder as its own entity, have no expectations because I think Rosanne, you and I have both seen differences in what is expected along the way. They come with uh, a lot of anxiety and fear. They are worried not only about themselves, but also about passing the bleeding disorder to their babies and the risks during childbirth and uh, later on. Hemostasis Connect is an initiative of core to ed This podcast is supported by an educational grant from Takeda. The views in this podcast are the personal opinions of the experts. They do not necessarily represent the views of the experts' organisation or the rest of the Hemostasis Connect group. For experts' disclosures on conflict of interest, please go to hemostasisoncoretoend.com. Hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm Deborah Pollard, an advanced nurse practitioner in haemophilia and bleeding disorders from the Royal Free Hospital, London. Hello, I am Rezan Abdul Qadir. I'm professor and consultant obstetrician and gynecologist at the Royal Free Hospital in London. And today in this podcast, we will discuss the impact of bleeding disorders before, during and after pregnancy and delivery. So, Deborah, I would like to ask you from your experience running multidisciplinary team service and clinic for women with bleeding disorder, what are the views of women as they prepare to become pregnant and what are their expectations and perception of the risks and challenges facing them? So I would say that in my experience, there's an overwhelming anxiety for women with bleeding disorders around, will I become pregnant? When I am pregnant, what are the risks and challenges? And then particularly around labour and delivery. And these tend to be twofold. They worry for themselves and their bleeding risk, but they very, very, very much worry for their baby. And it's in a background of what family history do they have? So if they have a family history of a bleeding disorder, they may well have heard apocryphal stories from other members of the family that we can quite easily actually put into perspective of 21st century multidisciplinary care for women with bleeding disorders. When we look at their expectations, I think that the most important thing is information. The more information and conversation we have with these women about realistic outcomes, realistic events during pregnancy, labour and delivery, then I think we are able to contain their anxiety and to develop the relationship, the professional relationship needed to go forward in what is really a complex management plan. Well, I completely agree with you, Deborah. They come with uh, a lot of anxiety and fear. They are worried not only about themselves, but also about passing the bleeding disorder to their babies and the risks during childbirth and uh, later on. And as you um, know, we've been um, running regular preconception sessions for counselling and assessment of these ladies. And that is very helpful to prepare them and not only them, also prepare us healthcare professionals to know how we best uh, manage them and start the management as soon as they are pregnant. We discuss this topic gradually with them. As we see them, they are um, becoming a young girl and after menarche and, and when they are deemed to be ready to become pregnant. But we specifically arrange 
preconception session with them where we review uh, their diagnosis, confirm the diagnosis so that we have better information of what risks are facing them and their babies. We also uh, look at whether they had genetic testing because that is important uh, and especially relevant in some conditions such as hemophilia or severe bleeding disorders. And during the session, we can uh, discuss with them what would be the bleeding risk for them, what is the inheritance, what are the risks for the baby to be affected, and what are the bleeding risks, and how would we manage them. Of course, this is also opportunity to discuss uh, issues about reproductive options for them, such as pre-implantation genetic diagnosis or prenatal diagnosis, so, uh, Deborah, I think we should not also forget uh, sometimes the father is affected with inherited bleeding disorders, not the mother. What are the considerations for such situation? When fathers are affected with bleeding disorders, we have to know about the inheritance of the bleeding disorder that he's affected by. Because actually where perhaps there is consanguinity in his relationship we may need to test his sexual partner to ensure that we are fully aware of the risk to any future babies and the risk to the woman herself. So that would be my first instinct. Historically, people have brushed away men with haemophilia with all your daughters will be carriers, all your boys will be normal, that's fine. And actually it isn't. There's a burden placed upon men with haemophilia about their daughters, who not only will be carriers of haemophilia, but we know at least a third of them will have mild haemophilia or even more severe symptoms themselves. So I think that we've moved away from not really discussing in detail with those men. I think all men with bleeding disorders need to have similar discussions to women with bleeding disorders about their risks of passing on their disorder and what that means for them and for their partner. And again, I go back to that opportunity to invite partners into the conversation as well. I think it's very important that both partners hear that conversation. But as healthcare professionals, that we accept that we are assessing risk both for the individual affected by the bleeding disorder and for their potential children. May I also add, Deborah, for uh, some rare uh, bleeding disorders and also severe bleeding disorder where the father affected and could be the inheritance is autosomal, so the baby could be affected with a severe disorder. And that is quite important. And we always bring the couple and discuss with them to minimize risk for the baby if the baby is affected, especially in uh, relation to how we deliver the baby. Razan, once a woman with a bleeding disorder is pregnant, what do you as an obstetrician expect from the pregnancy? Are there specific risks? So yes, as an obstetrician, we have to assess the risk for the mother and the baby. And we know that because of their coagulation defect, the risk is mostly a bleeding risk. The mothers are at risk of a bleeding complication. And most important is 
primary and postpartum hemorrhage. And uh, for most bleeding disorder, there is no additional risk of bleeding during uh, pregnancy. And for the baby, it's also bleeding risk during delivery if the baby is affected with a bleeding disorders. So as obstetrician and as part of the multidisciplinary team, is our role is to assess this risk and plan accordingly. I think I would just pick up there on that plan and the idea of preterm delivery and, and very much that the plan must be held by the woman as well as distributed among the healthcare professionals. Because of course, babies don't always come when or where we want them to come. And if a woman should go into preterm labour a long way from her registered haematology service, we would want as much information quickly available to the team looking after her. And I think that the important thing to get across really here is that although we expect factor eight and von Willebrand factor to rise, so for those who may be carriers or be affected by haemophilia A or von Willebrand's disease, only in type 1 von Willebrand's disease will we see a significant rise in effective von Willebrand factor. And uh, again, for carriers of haemophilia B or women affected by haemophilia B, there is no rise in the factor 9. We wouldn't expect a rise, for example, in the factor 11 level. So really, we must treat each individual bleeding disorder as its own entity have no expectations because I think, Rosanne, you and I have both seen differences in what is expected along the way and very importantly have both a first trimester and a third trimester level available to make that final plan for delivery. And where necessary, and we have considered this in the past and made it available, where necessary, perhaps the woman should even carry clotifactor concentrate in that very last part of pregnancy if she's a long way from accessing routine haematology care. And it is just in case and she can bring it with her. But again, a sudden unexpected delivery in a hospital without experts, at least they would have it to hand. And I think the message in all of our multidisciplinary care planning is call us. We want to be called anytime any time, day or night. If we can't be with you, we want to be able to guide people through. Absolutely. And we have done over years a close liaison with their local maternity team. We almost share their care um, with the local maternity uh, unit because many of these women live far away from the uh, haemophilia treatment center. Also, one of the things we decide and must be decided is where the woman should deliver. As you know, we make that in the plan because for women with mild bleeding disorder, where the baby is also not expected to have a severe bleeding disorder, she could have delivery in her local maternity hospital. With a close collaboration with us, we're always on the phone with them discussing the plan and we were accessible if they have any question during the course of labor and delivery. Rasan, I think you've already talked a, a little bit about the expansion of the multidisciplinary team to include the anaesthetist, for example. I would say that we include in our multidisciplinary team genetic counsellors 
Um, they can be uh, full-time genetic counsellors or the haemophilia psychologist or psych counsellor. Uh, I know in the US it would be the social worker, for example. The anaesthetist, very important. And of course, uh, you actually have a genetic midwife, don't you, who um, sees the patients that perhaps need a little bit of extra support through pregnancy. And then when we are thinking about delivery, from an obstetrician's point of view, can you tell me what you would expect to need on hand and what you would be looking for during delivery? So the obstetric management, I would divide it into two aspects, the maternal aspects and the fetal aspects. So for the mother, the aim is to minimize risk of bleeding complication and provide her with a birth that she is satisfied with and happy. And the uh, plan will be to look at her bleeding risk, look at her obstetric risk factor, because it's not only the uh, inherited bleeding disorder, because this mother could have any obstetric complication like any other mother, such as uh, preeclampsia, diabetes, uh, they could have a, a placenta, previa, or other obstetric complications. So that should be considered and managed according to the obstetric plan. And also we provide a plan to minimize risk of postpartum hemorrhage because we know this is the most important risk for these women. The commonest cause for postpartum hemorrhage is uterine atony. Um, yes, of course, women with bleeding disorder, their coagulation defect could increase their risk but if we correct the coagulation defect, we must also ensure that other obstetric factors are also prevented. And preventing atony is practiced uh, all over the world with the use of active management of third stage labor, where placenta uh, delivery is controlled with the use of prophylactic uterotonic to prevent or minimize risk of postpartum hemorrhage. The other uh, aspect of obstetric care is to ensure less traumatic delivery uh, to the mothers and quick surgical repair. Um, and if it's a cesarean section, an experienced obstetrician uh, who has knowledge of the managing women with bleeding disorders should be performing this uh, procedure. From the baby's point of view, then we um, have to ensure that we're minimizing risk of bleeding during birth because babies with bleeding disorders, especially severe bleeding disorders, such as severe hemophilia, we know they're at risk of bleeding, especially cranial bleeding during the process of birth, especially if the birth is prolonged labor or difficult delivery, especially with the instrument uh, and specifically with ventus extraction. So uh, based on the risk of the baby, we plan what would be the mode of delivery, of course, after discussion with the mother, and how would delivery be managed to minimize risk for mother and the baby. But may I ask you also, Deborah, what would be the management from the hemostatic point of view uh, to minimize the risk for the mother and the baby? So, of course, this again depends on which is the bleeding disorder that we're caring for. And for many women, tranexamic acid would be absolutely enough to get them through uh, labour and delivery. But where there is a more severe bleeding disorder, there needs to be a very careful plan. And I would just say that where resources may be limited, you may want to perhaps plan to administer clotting factor concentrate 
much closer to delivery where resources aren't as limited. We might perhaps go in with clotting factor concentrate earlier in labour with the knowledge that we may have to repeat doses. So that would be for the local haematology team to um, specifically prescribe. I think that we have to have those products ready, available to the staff on the labour ward, not just available to the haematology staff and an understanding of who will administer and how they will administer them and also when. For example, desmopressin is a very helpful pharmaceutical agent for women with von Willebrand's disease or women with a low fat rate level. And we can administer that and we would prefer perhaps to administer that just after delivery, although we have administered it during labour successfully. But then we are in the realms of having to manage the amount of intravenous fluids that are administered to the woman. If she has had desmopressin, she would need to be fluid restricted, which is very difficult to manage, uh, is my understanding from my obstetric colleagues uh, in the immediate delivery and postpartum period. So these things have to be balanced. And that's why the the communication between the multidisciplinary team is just so important. I think also from my perspective, when we see the woman at 34 weeks, we can prescribe her postpartum tranexamic acid tablets at that point for her to take home, to keep at home, because inevitably it's one of those things that might get forgotten at the discharge after delivery. Everybody's very happy. She's got through her delivery without a major postpartum hemorrhage. The baby is safe and well. They all just want to go home. And if she already has the tranexamic acid at home, we've already covered that risk and she can take it certainly for the first 10 to 14 days. But we would advise that she takes it until the lochia is reduced right down Uh, because we know in women with bleeding disorders that not just is there a risk of primary postpartum hemorrhage, but actually the risk of persistent, prolonged bleeding after delivery. And that really is aided by the use of tranexamic acid. Would you agree, Rosanne? Oh, absolutely. Hemostatic treatment is very important and should not just be for labour and delivery, should extend beyond to the postnatal period. From obstetric point, I think I could summarise that the uh, mode of delivery should be discussed with the mother, pros and cons of cesarean section versus vaginal delivery. Again, based on the uh, type and severity of bleeding disorder that uh, the baby could have. And if vaginal delivery is planned, it should be a careful monitoring, avoiding prolonged labor, avoiding difficult instrumental delivery, especially ventus extraction. Although in uh, babies affected with mild bleeding disorders, perhaps low forces delivery ex- that's conducted by a experience of strategy is less risky than doing a difficult cesarean section when the head is deeply engaged in the pelvis. So it's all about planning and discussion with the mother and also involving all the um, professionals who would be managing the care during an labor and delivery because, again, we know, uh, Deborah, that labor could happen anytime, mostly middle of the night, uh, and um, all involved should be familiar with the risks for the mother and the baby. And I'd just like to add, Rosanne, actually, that because of all these plans that we have in place, I'm very proud to say that we have had no major obstetric incidents relating to women with bleeding disorders 
in our practice. And the plans generally very well adhered to by everybody that comes across the women with bleeding disorders. Absolutely. And also another part of the plan is whether the baby uh, needs a cord blood taken. And this is especially important if we expect the baby to have a severe bleeding disorders. We are very lucky in our center that we have a pediatric hematologist who is involved with the care. But if it is not on site, a healthcare professional should always liaise with the pediatric team to ensure that the baby is looked after. Some mothers, as you know, opt to have a circumcision for their male babies. And that's always part of our discussion, whether circumcision can be done, how can it be done, whether a baby is needed tranexamic acid in case of mild bleeding disorders. And we have always liaised that with the parents and whoever conducting circumcision but in severe bleeding disorders, we uh, ensure that is not performed until the diagnosis on confirm an appropriate hemostatic cover is planned for the baby. So I think that's another example of the widening multidisciplinary team involved in care of women and babies with inherited bleeding disorders. And is there anything from the woman's point of view that we should be particularly aware of in the postpartum period? Yes, I think postpartum period is also a very important period to watch because, uh, as you know, Deborah, the clotting factor that's already risen in those examples you mentioned, carriers of hemophilia and mild to moderate von Willebrand disease, also start declining after delivery from day two to three. And by day seven, the woman is at risk again of secondary postpartum hemorrhage when she is already discharged from hospital. And if we don't provide the tranexamic acid, as you mentioned, and counsel the mother about this risk, then uh, many women could suffer hemorrhage and come as an emergency, or many more will have just prolonged blood loss, which we in obsessively call it lochia, for a, a long period of time. And that causes more iron deficiency anemia, other aspects of postnatal care is also warning the mother about her baby. If we expect the baby has a bleeding disorder, what are the signs and symptoms of that? Uh, give her contact number to con contact uh, in any case or when she has any suspicion or if there is a trauma or surgery to liaise with the hemophilia treatment center so that the baby is looked after appropriately. I agree completely. One of the things I find with mothers is the minute a baby is born, she forgets about herself and she focuses all of her attention on her baby, which is fantastic. Um, and it also comes back to the, the thing we know about women with bleeding disorders and what is normal in a family. And again, with this lochia, this prolonged bleeding out past four to six weeks, if she turns to her mother and she turns to her sister or she turns to her aunts and they all have bleeding disorders too, they may well reassure her that this is normal. And actually, we want to stop that bleeding. We want to encourage her to come back to us. Um, we want to prevent that iron deficiency um, because we want her to be as well as possible to look after her baby. So I think that this constant counselling that we do through pre-pregnancy, pregnancy and beyond is very important and it affects the care of both the mother and the child. Is there any other monitoring, Rizan, that you think is particularly different 
Do you think that there are specific monitorings that should be done in women with bleeding disorders or with a good plan in place, can we avoid extra monitoring and extra hospital visits? As you mentioned earlier, mothers should be given individualized care. And and that is the most important because there are mothers and we have managed many with very severe bleeding disorders that need additional care. We talk to them at least on a weekly basis they need tactic concentrate during pregnancy. If they have obstetric complication, they need obstetric team looking after them. While we have managed many women with mild von Willebrand disease, for example, with no additional visit. And if the multidisciplinary plan and team involvement is in place, I think we can, and we have demonstrated that in our center, we are proud to say that there we can minimize the risk for the mother and, and the baby. If I want to summarize what is the best management for these women during pregnancy and delivery is the emphasis or multidisciplinary import and advanced planning and also involvement of the mother in the planning so that she is well informed and also satisfied because in addition to the safety, the most important aspect of childbirth is the mother happy and satisfied with her experience. I couldn't agree more. And what I would add to that is that we have found that a single point of contact within the haemophilia treatment centre throughout pregnancy and the postpartum period that the woman knows she can contact um, has been very helpful in allaying the anxiety, allaying the fears and actually being the point of communication throughout the multidisciplinary team. So I think, Rosanne, we've really had a lot to discuss today and I would Thank you very much. And I hope that everybody takes something away that's really important in the care of women with bleeding disorders. Thank you so much, Deborah. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And it's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you very much. This Hemostasis Connect podcast was brought to you by Courtoed Independent Medical Education. For more information, please visit courtoed.com and select Hemostasis.